0: But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it not really... no. This, this, is, this is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got, got a runway,
1: runway in the front yard. <laughs> you know, this happened a couple weeks ago. We, we completely forgot. I mean, I didn't forget about it. I was watching it in, in real time, in, in real life, but I forgot to mention on the podcast, uh, we went back to Mars again. Very, very cool. Yeah, yeah we did. Um,
0: it it was just the craziest... I, I, I tell people, you know... We're getting geared up to do another spot landing contest here at, at Hidden River next yeah. month, and uh, I, I tell people so you, the helicopters and the NASA guys are not invited.
1: Yeah, I
2: know, right? Because it's just <laughs> they're getting too good at this stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, a couple of more, couple of more up there, and they'll have to send up somebody from the Census Bureau in in t- t- twenty ten. Yeah, so. I know. I guess you know it's it's shocking to realize how little terrain
1: they actually cover. You know, I mean, those two earlier ones, what were they, Spirit and? And, uh, and, uh, spirit and opportunity. Opportunity, that's what it was, yeah. Um, you know, and they were like supposed to only live ninety days or something like that, and they end
0: one of them's still going strong. And on. one
1: of them's still going, you know, and that's like six years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Say more, maybe I forget. What is that
0: in dog years? I
1: know, yeah. So, so, uh, um, but the weird thing is that if you actually look at the kind of geography that they've covered, I mean, and not to not to belittle the, the the scientific discoveries they've made, but they really haven't covered very much terrain. You know, I mean, you know, when as a percentage of Mars surface, it's just you know. I don't know. Oh, no. mix, mix my metaphors. The tip not. of the
0: iceberg, right? There's, there's no way.
1: And so likewise, that, uh, this Curiosity thing, um, as cool stuff as it's going to do, uh, it, it's not expected to travel very far. Apparently not even going to get out of that crater that it landed
0: No, in. apparently not. But it's a big crater. Yeah, all true. All having been said. And this is a fairly substantial vehicle. It's about the size of... a. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know, mid-sized car or something like that, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. It's it's much bigger. That's apparently why they had to land it a different way. They couldn't do the airbag thing this yeah, it's time. Got too
0: much mass. Well, there's not enough atmosphere. Yeah, and but, there's but there's the... There's too much. They couldn't do the drug shoot because there's not enough atmosphere. Right. And they couldn't do the the balloon um, encapsulation thing because uh, there's too much mass.
1: Right. Yeah, so they had to do this other thing, which is just a wacky – I mean, you look at look at the video in advance of the whole thing and go, what in the world are they thinking? This you know, is. Rube Goldberg it, was, I was,
0: know, was pumping his know. fist the whole time.
2: Uh huh. Yeah, David? Well, I, I have just been so in awe with the creativity of the solution that they created. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But not nearly as in awe as I am of the fact that – this this worked for the first this worked on its first try, yeah right. well
0: yeah, that was the big deal to me too is, yeah is we've all seen and going to mars you know the the uh the, the track record uh even nasa's track record on on sending spacecraft to Mars uh, and trying to land them uh is not that good they've lost a couple no. uh, other countries have lost a uh, a few um, yeah and, and especially something like this that's so complicated. That, you know, looks great on paper, looks great, you know, in, in New Mexico, as opposed to, of course, Arizona, where they're actually filming this. Hmm. Um, <laughs> <know>. yeah, okay. <laughs> All right.
1: Yep, yep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's quite the deal.
1: And, and I got to hand it to NASA. They just, you know, they went all in on this thing, you know, because, oh, yeah. because oh, yeah. I mean, certainly the, the, the you know, the, the the spacecraft and the flight and the, experiment, the experiments themselves are a big, big deal. But from a marketing PR standpoint, I really kind of admire that it was very, I don't know, I don't know if I can say this on a family podcast, very ballsy. It they, ballsy. they yeah. uh, you know, because they made a huge deal about this leading up to the landing all right and uh um and and if the landing had failed, it would have made them look really really bad. I mean, it would have been serious egg on their face.
0: Well, they, uh, they tried to lower expectations. You uh,
1: think it seemed to me like they were really really fanning. Oh the, come you know, on, flames. man! They called it what the fourteen minutes of seven, terror. Yeah, seven right. minutes of terror. Seven, right? seven you know? minutes
0: of terror. And uh, um, you know
1: yeah, they yeah. they did a you know and and considering that it landed successfully and is now doing its thing, um, I it, mean, it was uh, they did a really great job of preparing the ground from a PR standpoint. Point, you know, because it's,
2: you know everything that happened up there was predetermined by stuff that happened here years ago. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, even when you in, yeah. it, well, count it was, all the months that it's been coasting and be getting course corrections on its way to Mars, and that and that that encounter way the hell out there, uh, but kind of the closest Mars gets to us. Uh, but just the, the the fact that the work that went into it, the engineering, then they they get this all together. They test it the best they can. They think they got it right. It fits on the spacecraft. They've got experience launching and deploying, so that's not a first time thing. They launch and deploy, and then it's like okay eight months we'll see you guys we'll see you guys in july yeah i know have a good summer you know they really have there's a uh there's a really really sweet video on the
1: net that i saw the other day yeah, i've seen that about yeah. a uh this the, the kid the well, i call him a kid he's probably in his late 20s early 30s um and uh basically he's worked his entire since graduation his entire career has been working on curiosity oh, and really? uh um and he and he he does the video sort of is is showing him and his wife and his dad traveling to and then sitting in the audience there at NASA because he wasn't one of the. Control room crew he was like he must have been one of the engineers that built the thing or I don't know something like that, um, but he'd been very involved with it for all of its years. He says this was basically the only thing he's done in his professional life it's you know a third of his entire life has been working on curiosity and so mm-hmm. he he videoed himself with his family watching the big screen during the seven minutes of terror, you know waiting to find out whether this thing was going to work whether it was going to kind of validate you know everything he's done in his career so far and and he interlaced that with the things that had gone on in his life. Like, uh, I think his child was born, and he got married, and his mom died of ALS, you know. And uh, and, and it's just a very, very touching video about how significant this is to these individuals. You know, I mean... It, it, it's pretty cool. Well, I'll dig up the link, and I'll yeah, send it do, along. Do I,
0: I have not seen that one. No. Yeah,
1: yeah. It really, you know, I mean, quite frankly, brought a tear to my eye. It was a very, very sweet video. And uh, given that it was had a happy ending, it's it's all the more, you know, uh, uh, sweet. So, uh,
2: yeah, I'll find well, that. It, before we leave this, you 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 hit something there that struck a chord with me. It it, it, it flashed me to something that I read over the weekend, and I found it a little bit about it. You talked about the young man ha- having spent his entire post-college career uh, working on Curiosity, uh, and he's in his 20s, and I'm looking at stories today and yesterday about Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, mm. which were launched 35 years ago, and Voyager 1 is, uh, and, and well, I don't think I've ever used this, seen this used in a, a real chart. Well, Voyager 1 is 119 angstrom units from Earth. <laughs> I'm assuming that's a really big number. Yeah. 119 angstrom units? 119 angstrom units, and uh, what, that's... What's that uh, in dog ears? <laughs>
1: Fifteen, <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. It's uh, yeah. I think I've seen stories about that. That's the craft. It's like it's like right yeah. about now. It's passing beyond the bound. I don't know what. There's some some physics boundary of the solar system or something like that. Right. It's, right. Like, it's
2: about to pass into interstellar space. Yeah. Right, right. And uh, it, it is uh, the fastest moving
0: man-made object. Yeah. Okay. I'll buy that. I'll okay. buy that.
2: Speaking of
1: uh, man-made objects, so, Jeb, you put this on the… Before you go, the yeah. reason I brought that up, the yeah. reason
2: it clicked was it, they were quoting a couple of guys who have been on this program since before its launch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking, wow. Yeah, first off, congratulations on surviving that many years of budget cuts. Uh, but, wow, to have a piece of machinery that you helped create and launch that far away from home, that old, still functioning… Still yeah. sending back good science, yeah, and, yeah, and fifteen dog years, and fifteen dog years.
1: <laughs> so Jeb, are you? Did you make a donation to the SkyCube? Uh, I, I have
0: not. I have not. Uh, it Doesn't look like they're going to need anything. No, uh, they're doing they're, pretty good. They, this is a. Yeah, uh, they're doing fine. They their they, their pledged goal was eighty two five, and they're at ninety five as we speak. When I heard about this, they were looking for 100. They'll get there probably uh, by the end of the week.
1: So what is this? This is sort of a little uh, homebrew satellite that's uh, being funded by uh, crowdsourcing uh, through Kickstarter. Uh-huh. And uh, and they're going to build this thing. And what? They're
0: going like, to probably buy space on some? This this is a so-called nano satellite. Yeah. Um, I haven't gotten into the details here about how it's launched and, and where it will be launched from and, and things like that um but it's a crowd sourced uh uh financing thing it's on kickstarter um uh, the 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 tagline on this is a nano satellite that lets you take earth images and tweet from space it wow. then that, inf- that inflates a bu- visible balloon and orbits cleanly mhm yeah so um So it's i don't know i haven't really dived into the detail here how big it is it's probably you know uh, um a couple of centimeters in size. Now the question I have is: Is this going to be one of these things, or, or can we all buy one and send it up on the same launch platform?
1: Yeah.
0: Or, or you know, is this going to be an ongoing thing? Can we, uh, can we, can we control where it de orbits? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I know. Can we huh? drop this on somebody? You know. No,
1: this is this uh, is uh, you know this is justice. You know, like we're all worried about drones down here in the national airspace. So now we're going to have to worry about drones up in orbit. And look you a, know? think about the poor Martians. Yeah, I know. I know.
2: I was like yeah, I know. Mean, Curiosity's we keep, we keep crashing bring, camera rigs on. I them. know that's right. Know. We
0: keep we keep putting dropping vehicles on their planet. Yeah. You know, in some in some in some, you know, galaxies that's an act of war. I know. I know. It would
1: it would it's, certainly make Arizona a little un- unhappy, I think. Yeah. Because they got an alien problem to begin with. But anyways, enough <laughs> of
0: that. No, right, <G-S-1> yeah, no. G-S-1> anyways, G-S-1> anyways, I know. Let
2: me let, me, yeah, let me yeah, go ahead, David, quickly. I, yeah. Correct something I said. I said Angstrom units. Yeah. That's wrong. Okay, they, they, they're like hundreds of trillions of angstrom units away from it—astronomical units. Astronomical units. Okay, that makes ninety-three more... million miles the I distance to the sun. Is an astronomical. That, that really puts it into perspective. Yeah, yeah, no, so hundred
0: and fifteen distances Time, to the sun.
2: Yeah,
1: I would think it's more than that.
2: I would think so too. Actually, say the number again, David. Uh, ninety-three million miles. Yeah, well, that's one astronomical unit, right? That's one astronomical unit. And how many
1: AUs is Voyager away? Fifteen.
2: Okay. 15 astronauts. Uh, I'm sorry, 119, 119. 100, 119. Still, yeah, okay. 119.
0: Math, was, math was not your strong
1: suit. Yeah, right? no. Uh,
2: yeah. 15 dog years. 15 dog years. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay, well, that makes uh, it all yeah, simple. Listen,
1: on that note, let me say welcome, folks, to uh, uncontrolled, the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast. Uh, I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm here with my two good friends, Jeb Burnside and Dave Higdon are here. How are you guys doing? What's going on?
2: I'm astronomically challenged. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I was wondering who was
1: going to jump in first. It's a little different this week than we've been doing. Uh Math. it's not just for splitting
0: up the bar tab anymore. <laughs> <I
2: know>. <laughs> <laughs> David, what's going on? How's the heat? Uh well it was uh abominable abominable Easy over most you of you the weekend. Yeah. Like back into triple digits. Uh but it's back into Tolerable, and we're looking at about an 80 degree high on Saturday, when the bride and I are, are, are scheduled to spend most of the day outdoors at a charity event. So, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of fired up about that idea.
1: Yeah, I don't know what it's like in Kansas this time of year normally, but
2: uh, it, it's cooler than this.
1: Yeah and it's cool. the same up here in New England it's not getting cool as quickly as it has in it usually has throughout my life up here in New England maybe it's a climate change thing maybe it's just a weird year I don't know anyways Jeb the so we were watching the uh, the uh, the circus I mean the Republican National Convention last week and they were all a full <laughs> uh, all a uh, I don't know a twitter a bad bad pun about uh, about the uh, heat down there in Tampa has it been really hot
0: or not I don't know No not really I mean, last week was here the, here's the problem um, the couple of days leading up to, uh, Tampa were kind of cloudy and overcast as, as the advancing portion of, uh, uh, I can't, it's been so long ago now, uh, I can't, from Isaac. Isaac, Isaac, yeah, Isaac, the, the advancing portions of I, Isaac were spreading, uh, over, over the peninsula. So that blocked the sun. And so it was, it was humid, but it was an overcast and it was maybe 85 or something like that. It was not all that uh, uncomfortable. Um, but uh, then Isaac, of course, arrived and dumped a lot of rain. Um, we didn't get a whole lot of anything here except some rain, I mean, maybe two or three inches of rain, a little bit of wind. It was a really a nothing burger, thankfully. But then uh, Isaac blew out and brought with it summer in Florida. Mm-hmm. It left behind, I should say, summer in Florida, where it's it's hot and it's humid. Yeah. And, yeah, I can see how someone from, you know, Poughkeepsie, uh, um, who who uh, stays in there air conditioning most of the summer up there, comes down here and gets hit in the head. Yeah. I can get that. Yeah, they were talking about it being pretty warm. I don't know. Um, not, not to take anything away from our listeners in Poughkeepsie. No, no, no. Of course not.
1: Quickly, how did, uh, so Debbie came through the, uh, your airplane came through the, uh, the quote-unquote, yeah, storm, okay? Uh,
0: Debbie uh, went to a different hangar. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, was, was secured in that hangar with another, um, uh, with a, uh, V-tail Bonanza, actually, uh, both of them in the same hangar. Um, came through with no problems. <laughs> There's a crude joke well, in there someplace, but, uh. Well,
1: yeah, well, Debbie <laughs> in the V-tail, Some, know. some gestation period uh, from now, a new airplane. There'll
0: will. be, a, there'll be a little musketeer arrive sometime <laughs> next week. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> something like <laughs> but, that. Something like that. But, um, came through fine, um, and, yeah. Uh, I picked up more branches uh, and limbs and stuff off the yard before the storm came through than then after. Yeah, it sounds uh, like it kind of fizzled in was, your area. It really did. It didn't, you know, the, it, the East Coast, peculiarly, got enough, got plenty of rain. We got two, three inches. They had days of it. Yeah. In, and thunderstorms and stuff like that. And just the way the banding on Isaac worked, we were you know sufficiently far sufficiently close to the eye that uh, we didn't really get all that much yeah yeah
1: now of course new orleans uh, they they escaped a katrina kind
2: of event but nevertheless got a lot of rain and uh, um. uh... some of the parishes southeast of uh new orleans out on that spit that uh kind of forms the south edge of mississippi bay yeah uh they they're still underwater there yeah uh, now
1: um one thing I wanted to, you guys, one of you pointed this, out, I don't know who put this on the list. Let's see, you know, who put this on the list uh, about the Hurricane Hunter thing? Jeb. Um, yeah. I, I guess this yeah. makes total sense, but I just I wasn't aware that, you know, so every time these hurricanes come by, there's invariably news stories about the Hurricane Hunter flights. Um, these days, I guess, what, C-130s or variations. C-130s, of the, there's a Gulf Stream. that, yeah, that, that, that fly. OLA uses, yeah. That, that, yeah. that amazingly fly straight into these things and collect all uh-huh. kinds of important data. And uh, the serious part of the story is the realization that uh, that um, some of these planes have gone down in these hurricanes. For so, you know, um, well,
0: I I don't know. I I was playing around, you know, obviously looking for data on Isaac, and uh, um, came across on on Weather Underground site uh, links to um. I, for some reason, I can't find the front page for this series, but uh, um whether any hurricane hunter aircraft operated by the U.S., I think probably the only (laughs) idiots operating hurricane hunter aircraft, but uh, uh, have any of them ever crashed? Mm -hmm. And it turns out that six of them have, in fact, crashed. Uh, Fortunately, the most recent one went down in 1974, so Mm -hmm. some of our listeners may not have even been born by then, but uh, that was the last time a hurricane hunter went down. That was a C-130. But if you start uh, peeling this onion here, um, and uh, I think the uh, the aircraft was basically a converted B twenty four was the first one uh, to have crashed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a squadron based um, Guam or uh, 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 I'm sorry Philippines. Um, this was a uh, PB PB four Y uh, dash two, uh, which I believe Knockwood. Someone can correct me. Uh, is the Navy version of the B 24? Navy oh, okay. patrol version of the B 24. Um, it has a higher, uh, uh, much higher, actually, uh, vertical stabilizer. Um, but um, uh, that's what they were flying. And this was uh, when? October 1st, 1945, in a Category 1 typhoon over the South China Sea. Uh, this was obviously a Pacific operation. Um, the um, punchline here, I think, is, and again, looking at it's kind of hard to separate all this out from the data. There is a wiki page I could load. But there's never been loss of a hurricane in our aircraft over the Atlantic. They, these have all been Pacific operations. Oh, okay. I wonder if, hmm, I wonder why that is. I don't know. Um, I simply don't know. Yeah. Anyways.
1: That's too bad, but uh, you know, I guess it stands to reason that there, that you do something, you know, dangerous like that is as important as it is. You know, there's going to be, there's going to be uh,
0: casualties. Yeah. You know, so yeah. anyways, um, yeah, Swan, yeah, Swan thirty eight was the call sign of the C one thirty that went down. Um, um, yeah. Again, going out of, the, out of the Philippines, but as best as I can determine. Uh, There has not been a crash of one of these over the Atlantic operations, put that way. And they've used a bunch of different aircraft over the years. Yeah. Anyways, kind of
1: interesting. Anyways, hey, I don't know about you guys, but I need a break. I need another beer here. So uh, we're going to take a little break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk to uh, a friend of ours, a former EAA staffer and now the AOPA senior VP, uh, Adam Smith, about his new job and uh, how they uh, at AOPA plan to build up the pilot community. So we'll be right back. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Hey, we're being joined now in the virtual hangar by a, uh, a pal of ours. Uh, we keep having we keep bringing onto the podcast friends who used to be our boss, and uh, <laughs> uh, so I and I and, I, and I, I personally consider that a sign of what a good boss he was. That he's he continues yeah. to be friends because uh, <laughs> um, Adam Smith is with us. Uh, Adam uh, used to be uh, he had actually had many roles at EAA over the years, um, uh, ending as uh, uh, vice president of uh, for Air Venture and vice president for membership and a number of other roles at eaa and uh, left there a few months ago and just announced the other day adam that you are now let's see if i've got this right you are now the uh, senior vice president at aopa for the center to advance the pilot community did i get that right
3: you got it absolutely right yeah So, so gentlemen what's that it's good talking to you.
1: Oh, thank you. We're glad to have you join us. So um, I want to hear about this whole this whole program of yours. But let's kind of set the stage a little bit here. Um, from from you and AOPA's perspective, what's the state of the pilot population and the pilot community these days?
3: Well, I think you know anyone that that follows uh, aviation closely is probably aware that for around about thirty years now, the the number of certificated pilots in the USA has been in decline and i think um what i've been brought on board to do here is um is to do something about that because we've gone we've got to a point now where i think there is you know serious concern that the aviation infrastructure that we that we know and enjoy um if if, if we let um let things get much worse it, we could start to see the infrastructure falling apart and um that's something that actually i am Pretty familiar with myself because, um, as as those those of you that know me and, and and are listening to my voice can probably work out, I'm I'm from um, England, and I would say that the the aviation in- infrastructure over there has collapsed and um, it it is not in good shape at all, and we we absolutely don't want that to happen here in America. So um i think this new centre that aopa is is pulling together is fundamentally um being um designed to, to 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 actually do something about it um on the basis there's no point just sort of wringing our hands and saying okay you know things are bad uh, if if we want to if we want to turn it around then we've got to get to work so um, I've been brought on board to uh, to lead the initiative and over the next uh, several months I think people will be hearing a lot more about mm-hmm. what, what, uh, now, where our work's going to be.
1: Now before we move on to talking about the center and the program itself, how, how do you think we got into this mess? How did we get to this place where there are declining pilot numbers?
3: Um, well, I guess there's a lot of different theories about that and um, I, I don't claim to have the um, you know, unique insight on, on it. But I think, um, obviously, particularly here in America, there, w- there were some great years for aviation. Uh, if you look back into particularly into the 60s and 70s, you were, you know, you had a generation that had been trained to fly during World War Two and in the years afterwards through the GI Bill. You had very vibrant aviation manufacturing industry, um, you know, gas <clears throat> was uh, relatively cheap, good, prosperous economy, etc. So we had some, we had some really good times. Um, if we compare now, it is, um, you know, I guess it is certainly different in terms of manufacturing, in, in terms of um, the aviation landscape. Why is why have things changed? Um, I got, I got a few sort of initial thoughts about it, although one one of the things that I think we definitely do want to do as part of the work of the new centre is have a research component that helps us get to more factual answers than, than just sort of hang a chat, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think we have to look at the cost of flying, um, both in its financial uh, element and if we look at the, you know, all the different aspects of uh, the cost of flying seem to have gone up. Yeah, yeah. Probably... There's probably a time element to it as well. If we think about our our the, the lives we all lead today and how busy they are, um, you know, maybe finding the time to fly or the time to learn to fly, um, and, and, and the, the whole challenge of it is, maybe start to disconnect a little bit with, um, you know, how people how people lead their lives and the demands that are upon them.
2: Adam, I remember reading some uh, information from AOPA in the past. Year or so, where the association commissioned some survey work, uh, trying to find some some uh, foundation for the questions: Why aren't more people learning to fly? Why aren't the people who know how to flying more? Uh, were there any takeaways from that that are are kind of underpinning what you're, you're what you're going to be doing?
3: Um, yeah, I think you're referring to the work that was done um, specific to. Student pilot retention. Um, so, AOPA did commission a, a big piece of work that was uh, shared with with the whole industry. Uh, probably coming up to three years ago, and, and I think that was that was that was the genesis of, of um, you know what what is going on now. So, the, the the initial the initial work was done to you know to 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 look at why don't people complete their flight training, um, depending on um um what numbers you use, it's somewhere between seventy and eighty percent of all people who start flight training do not finish, which is a you know, a pretty horrendous dropout rate. And and I think AOPA thought, well what you know, if we can sort of figure out um, why it is that people are dropping out and why it is, you know, you know, what we can do to um, to help improve that that dropout rate. Um that would be a good place to go and do some, do some research. So uh, AOPA commissioned a, a pretty big study on that subject and um, came up with, with some very interesting conclusions. Actually, one of which slightly contradicts what I was saying earlier because it, it, probably the most surprising thing for me reading the research was that cost wasn't as big an element as you might think. Um, you know that it it was it was it was in there in the survey for some people obviously the the cost of learning to fly is an issue and they couldn't afford it and dropped out but for most people um, it was actually a a relatively minor issue Uh, what was more uh, significant was the experience they were having um, in learning to fly and you know that just the the challenges um, that, that came upon their time or their relationship with their instructor or their flight school or whatever it was. Um, and so I think w- what, what AOPA tried to do about that research or tried to do with that research was not not to sort of beat up on flight instructors and flight schools and to try and cast it in a positive light to say okay here are some um, examples, here are some principles that it might be good to, um, to, to, to work with um, in a positive sense, you know, so, or, or some things to avoid. I'm um, actually sitting on my desk here. Has been delivered to me today a, a wonderful set of handbooks that we're going to be unveiling at the um, AOPA summit in October. And these are a series of books. Uh, there's one for flight students, one for flight instructors, and one for flight schools. And there, these books, uh, which are going to be uh, distributed by EAA, are, uh, sorry, ALPA, are uh, um, uh, an. And assimila- assimilation of, of all of these learnings and these positive messages that, um, that the research showed. So um, l- l- just a bit one example, one, one of the things that the research did show was that um, community can be a very positive force in helping people um, through the process of learning to fly. When there is a supportive community around uh, learning to fly, it, it seems to um, help a person you know, it gives. I think we all know from our experience learning to fly. There are some days where you feel <laughs> you made no progress and uh, that it's not fun at all.
0: Personally, like I that. still have those days.
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I think that's the day when maybe you're. You know, the the one. That's the danger day when a person might just not come back. Right? right. Why am I bothering? Spend all this money. It was supposed to be fun. But I think when when there is a community there um, that can you know, give you some advice or help jolly you through or, or whatever it is, um, that, that, can, uh, that can help a lot. And so when I talk about communities, what, what do I mean? I, I'm, think, I'm talking about things like flying clubs, EAA chapters, or even, a, you know, a, a good uh, FBO that's got a nice, uh, a nice community spirit and feel around it. So actually, one one of the follow-on pieces of work that AOPA has done and, and I've been involved with over the last few months is flying clubs. Um, one of the things that did seem to jump out of this initial research piece was that, um, that 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 flying clubs seem to be a uh, a very interesting place and maybe something that a little bit more uh, light should be shone upon. And uh, that one makes a lot of sense to me personally, actually, because I was I was talking earlier about how bad the aviation environment is over in over in Europe, well, one of the brighter areas of aviation and, in fact, the thing that got me involved personally uh, is flying clubs because, um, you know, they, I guess they've evolved as a, a coping strategy for the cost of aviation, um, but they're also great hubs of community. In fact, personally, I, I met my wife as part of the, the club that I joined in Scotland, so I didn't just get an airplane out of the deal. I've got a partner for life. Um, now, I can't, pr- I can't promise that to everyone, but I, I, I think um, you know, the work that we've done, and uh, there's been another re- big research piece that we're going to be um, sharing with the world um, again at, at Summit next month, um a, a huge piece of research has been done on the role that flying clubs play in the USA and it actually really surprised me. I can give you a, a little a little bit of a teaser information. Um mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize there were so many. Um AOPA found the existence of at least 600 flying clubs in the USA um, that already exist. And um you know in their local communities they are uh, I guess the the typical flying club is 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 Operating as an aviation cooperative is the best the best phrase I can come up with. You know, it's a a group of people that come together and work together to keep the cost of flying down. Um, but what tends to evolve around that is a is a good supportive community as well. um Most flying clubs offer flight instruction, and um, you you'll often find at a flying club some very good instructors that are really bought into the 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 local flying community and the the culture of the club, et cetera. And uh, so, you know, th- these are some of the more positive things that we're finding and um, are hoping to hoping to build upon in the in the years ahead. Yeah, Jeb, go ahead.
0: Yeah, uh, just a couple of quick questions. First, um, Adam, given that a lot of people and a lot of programs and a lot of organizations have tried to do something like this in the past to limited success. Are you out of your fucking mind for, t- for taking this on?
3: <laughs> well, um, great question. I, you know, as as, um, as I sat and, and, and discussed the, the the job opportunity here with, with AOPA, that was something that... I didn't exactly use those words, but I... <laughs> I, did, I did say, look, um, you know... This this feels like a very very daunting proposition. Um, I'm, I am a person that likes to likes to accomplish the goals that I set for myself, and this this one is, all oh, right. We're gonna we're gonna try and turn around something that's been you know that, that, that's been uh, in decline for 30 years and is very deep and very complex. Um, and, and so I think if I, if if I if I wasn't very daunted by that, I probably don't understand the assignment. You know, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and so you know, the very look well, the very least that that I will do and that 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 the organisation will do is we will we will try our best, you know, and and sure. I think we have, we have to try, uh, yeah. have to to try and bring some um, some hope and and, and some some vigour and some spirit into this. Um, and, but i also should say that there is no way on earth that this is an aopa initiative you know alone right. because the only way that um, that we can make any success here is to is to try and build a collaborative spirit um you know around around the aviation community um so that so that everyone can can um, can play a part because it, it, only that way will um will we truly make a difference i well, think what what AOPA is, does feel is that look look at the you know the size and the scale of the organization it is one of the few in aviation that can um, that's got the resources and the the, the breadth sure. and the span of of, um, of uh, resources to, to 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 be able to do something here
0: well let me ask you this 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 um, center to advance the pilot community Can you can you give us a little bit more meat on that bone? Uh, What is what is this? How is it going to be formed? Uh, Who's the who are the players?
3: Um, Well, as we've been discussing, I think that the the genesis of it is to to grapple with the, you know, the I think I might even use the word crisis that's in front of us, you know. Yeah, um,
0: right. It's a good word to use in this instance.
3: You know, it's not just a decline in the number of pilots, but even the pilots that we've got are not flying as much. Right. Um, so, I think you know, ultimately, the success um, of, of of the centre, you know, will be measured by can we um, can we do something about that? Not just the number of pilots there are, but can we get people flying more, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and extend their their flying lifetime. So. To the extent that I've been able to think about, okay, how how we're we going to approach this challenge, I think uh, first of all, it's going to take a massive effort just to stop the bleeding. You know, right. some has been on the trend line that we've been on um, for the for the first period here. We we're going to need, need to work hard just to um, you know to stop stop the downward trend. And um, some of the things that I think um, you know we 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 should be thinking about there are um, there are, and I think. When, when we discuss you know the problems that faces, this is often where the conversation goes. It goes to the cost of flying and the barriers to flying and things like that. And, and obviously one of the great strengths of AOPA is the, um, the whole regulatory side and, and um, I, I think it's going to be very important that AOPA stays very strong in that area, um, both to stop new barriers being imposed upon us. So you know we don't want user fees and we don't want more uh... paperwork and you know to make it harder to fly and, and and i think the organization is going to need to be continually vigilant on things like that but also you know if we if we if we start making some progress that would be good too so i think the the third class medical petition that's underway right now is a really good example of that uh-huh. uh, you know if we, if we can succeed in that then great we've actually we've actually you know accomplished uh, a rare thing which we've we've actually, we've hit you know, got rid of a barrier, and anything we can do in that regard, I think is going to be uh, helpful in uh, um, in the short term. But I do see stuff like that as being, you know, just very basic work, and and um, it's a little bit more at the advanced uh, scale that I that, that we can start creating some value. So, step two for me is to is to perhaps put some start putting some some solutions in place that that actually help us. Um, help us move forward so we um, probably have probably not got time even to talk about all the ideas that, that we've got in that regard but for example I, me- I did m- mention flying clubs earlier and, and, and I think we would definitely like to, um, to do a lot more to, to you know, shine a spotlight on an area of aviation that probably has been unrecognized and to, to maybe help the clubs that, ex- that already exist to, to prosper more and probably to encourage the formation of a lot of new clubs as well. There's certainly room. Uh, there's lots of places in the country that don't have them right now. Um, so that, I think that's just starting to get proactive a little bit. I've um, got a whole set of thoughts about an area that I haven't heard talked about much in aviation. You, you know, we often talk about the people coming in on the front end, bringing youth into aviation and in um, the whole flight training process, et cetera. But I've never heard much discussion about the people that are falling out of aviation at the other end, and there isn't an old adage in business, it's it's much easier and cheaper to retain a customer than it yeah. is to acquire a new one, and and I think um, we in aviation need to start thinking about how are we are going to, you know, why are people dropping out of aviation that have actually gone through all the trouble of getting certificated and getting into aviation, and then we just let them drift away, so um, I think we need to understand a little bit more about why are people drifting away um, and also um, there are a lot of people out there that I think we might be able to, to get back into aviation mm-hmm. so sort of a return to the sky kind of a program where we can help people um, get back in and, and you know um, I think I think things like that I think things like, like that will help too plus mm-hmm. uh, as we talked about earlier we've got the flight, um, the flight training retention initiative going going on, um, and there's going to be lots of uh, lots of good work coming out of that. I think.
2: Yeah,
1: Adam, this is Jack. A quick follow up on that, um, and I ask this question recognizing that your time on the job at AOPA is probably measured in hours at this point. But um, have they given you a budget? I mean, are you going to have people working for you, or <laughs> how, how, what's the scope of this thing?
3: Um, it- Actually, the uh, the board of directors of e- of uh, ALPA is in uh, tomorrow on Friday, and um, the uh, e- the main focus of my first week in the job here has been uh, to create presentation um, that, uh, that that senior management will be making to the board, and that's very much about looking for their approval of the the future direction and the budget and uh, uh, some of the some of the real specifics of it. So. Um, I think you know. I, I obviously, I can't preempt uh, that discussion and and the decisions that come out of it. But the, the, there is clearly a, a strong support here in the organisation for uh, at least the, the broad brush of the direction. And um, one of my jobs over the coming period is going to be to to you know start building a staff and building the capability. And also, um, you know, one of uh, hopefully one of my um, Personal skills is to is to also work with the many many good people that are that are already here in the building, and and I must I must say that um, for me the probably it, I, I, if I said that the the challenge is daunting I think that that is an honest statement. Um, one of the big big reasons that I've taken it on is that um, I I have got to know ALPA over the last few months. I've been working here as a consultant and. Uh, it's the people that I've met that have really inspired me to, to, to come here and work permanently because um, I've been just blown away by how many good, good people there are on the staff, very, very passionate about their jobs. And, um, and I've I just, I just got that gut feeling that there's, there's some special work can be done here if we can pull a, te- pull a team of people together and um, build some support um, outside, outside the building as well
2: couple of quick things Adam first i got the, i felt the same kind of energy and enthusiasm and dedication the, the brief time i worked there uh coming up on 30 years ago uh and they just moved into that building uh second uh, hats off to you guys for uh, AOPA for actually continuing to plod, uh, plug along with this problem because there is no more fundamental issue for general aviation than the, the the size of the pilot population because that's what determines the level of support and activity that we have in every other element of the community, uh, whether it's yep. the airports and how many exist or how many FBOs and how busy they are, uh, how many airplanes get built and sold and changed hands. Uh, all of that is dependent on the size of the pilot population. and We can't maintain the kind of... De- Infrastructure that we've been used to, if it keeps getting smaller.
3: Just to give a little bit of color to that comment, uh, Dave. It, it, earlier, I, I I said that the, I think the aviation infrastructure in Britain has collapsed, and maybe people um, could use an example that just helps me to illustrate that. Um, when I when I flew over there, um, the exhaust manifold on my on my cub uh, developed a crack. Okay, and yeah, that happens, right? So. Um, I sent it away to be repaired, and it took six weeks for that repair to get done. The reason being, there are only two welders in the entire country of 60 million people that are qualified to do that job. Holy that, cow! That—that's that, when things have contracted to the point where you know you you, you can't support the infrastructure um, that you need to uh, to keep the whole thing going. So. Obviously, you know America is a long, long way from that point, but don't get complacent about it. Um, and unfortunately, we've got to, We can see a, a clear trend line that is pointing in that direction. If we don't do something about it,
2: so uh, you were talking about your your, your cub and flying uh, uh, across the pond. There, how did you come into this community to begin with?
3: H- how did I come over into America, or how did? No, I, no, I into, into aviation.
2: Into aviation.
3: Um, well, actually, you know, my, my, my background, as I think you know, um, originally was museums and um, my my passion as a child and all through the education process was history. So there was only, you know, one direction I ever wanted to take in my life um, as, as a kid, which was to, you know, be an archaeologist or a history professor or something like that. And uh, that led me into museums. So um, the the first three or four jobs that I had were were in museums and I did a farming museum and a coal mining museum and a, uh, the British Gulf Museum and things like that and then um in my my mid-20s I, I ended up working at the National Museum of Aviation in Scotland and that was the point at which my my first passion which is history just collided with with what has become my life-consuming passion which is aviation and I it, it was very profound actually because it you know I'd worked believe me it's not easy to get kids interested in Victorian farming techniques right um, but when I, when i when I started working in an aviation museum, it was fascinating to me that I'm taking kids around the museum and wow, there's something special going on here i've got their interest, you know they're actually fascinated by this, and they're listening to what i 'm saying and um you know so immediately in coming in contact with aviation, I just felt a great spirit and I was surrounded by passionate people and you know so one day I'm sitting in a bar and uh a guy says to me right here's the deal um you join you join my flying club and I'll teach you to fly for nothing and wow and so oh
2: what exactly, a deal
3: yeah that, that that's that's exactly what happened and I, I didn't really have the money to fly um but you know I I, I got involved and um that what a what a gift uh jim mctaggart um from scotland gave me because um you know he, uh, that that journey led me to eaa and, and now to aopa and it's been interesting actually um you know in the sort of sabbatical that i've had over the last few months um one of the things i have done is um I just about finished my instrument rating and uh, the reason i wanted to do my instrument rating was not because I wanted an instrument rating. It's because I wanted a CFI rating. Um, and, yet, of course, you need the instrument in order to, to be a CFI. And It's because I am de- I am determined to pay forward the gift that Jim gave me. Uh, at some point, um, you know, I want to teach someone to fly for free. <laughs> and, and, um, That's fantastic. That is. One, one of the, you know, one, this, this, this is what I love about aviation, um, is that there are a lot of people that do that um there um I'm all I'm continually meeting people that who who instruct not as a job but as a passion and it's that's you know um so that for me this thing this thing is worth fighting for you know it's worth it's worth um it's worth trying to keep it all alive
2: well, when you first came over to work for the uh, EAA museum and uh they filled me in a little bit on your background and I'm Wait a minute, they found a guy in Scotland running a farm museum that knew how to fly to come here and run this museum. What are the chances of that?
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, uh Adam, do you own an airplane now?
3: I do. I, I've got uh, I own one and a half airplanes. The uh, <laughs> the one is uh I have uh, a 1955 Cessna 180 and uh I have flown the pants off that thing this year. It's been fantastic. I've I've flown more hours than sometimes I would fl- fly in three years put together. Mm-hmm. I've been literally done the length and breadth of the country and done done all my instrument training and things like that. So I uh, got the 180, and I've also got a half share in a clipped wing J3 Cub. And uh, <laughs> actually, you know, o- Oshkosh was was a great joy for me this year. It was the first time that I had attended Oshkosh while not being a member of EAA staff. And uh, what that meant was that, oh, wow, I don't have like a million meetings and a million responsibilities, and I can, I can go flying during during adventure. And
2: so
3: I <laughs> uh, flew down to Hartford um, to, for the cub gathering there, and I flew my, uh, the clip wing in the, um, in the showcase that they did of, J- of all the different kinds of J3 Cubs. So that, that was a lot of fun.
1: Did you fly in your cub in during the big mass arrival?
3: No, I didn't. Um, That's a whole other story. I was actually out of town uh, at an Iron Maiden concert. Uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yet another passion, huh?
3: (laughs) Well, completely changing the subject, the singer in Iron Maiden, which is the the most successful heavy metal band, uh, you know, sort of, ever, uh, the singer Bruce Dickinson is an avid pilot, Um, and uh, so I met and got to know Bruce through aviation, and so... Uh, the the day before Roshkosh, he he had us backstage at the Iron Maiden concert, which was uh, a lot of fun. But um, he just spent the whole time talking about airplanes and stuff. Did Did you see this? That uh, a very large airship uh, flew for the first time about two weeks ago. Um, it's a Northrop Grumman project, and it's it, I mean, this thing is the size of a football field. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, um, Bruce is one of the investors in that. He he was telling me all about it, uh, even
1: before it flew. Very cool. Very cool. Um, I know your time
3: is limited here. I have one
1: other question I want to ask you actually two others. The first one is, um, is there anything we haven't asked you about that you want to tell us or the world about, um, your, your plans at AOPA and, and, uh, and all that stuff?
3: Um, I don't think so. I I would, certainly encourage anyone uh, you know if if, if the conversation uh, on the podcast here has stimulated any thoughts in your mind we're, we're absolutely at the stage where uh, we're still looking for good ideas and um, you know good positive directions that can that can help us with the journey so if anyone wants to get in touch with me uh, can I can I read out my email address
0: sure yeah absolutely
3: uh, it's adam adam dot Smith at aopa.org dot
0: great great Adam, one, one last question what can we do to help
3: um well this is helpful you know uh, 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 spreading the word is 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 very important and uh um you know maybe over maybe over the upcoming period we can come back on again and 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 have a chat about some Good. of the some of the more detailed initiatives and uh um but you guys keep doing what you're doing i i, I you know as i said earlier the 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 research is showing us that the community of aviation is 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 probably the most positive thing we've got going for us at the moment. It's probably uh, as I'm as I've been talking out loud on the call here. It's probably the the theme of it. I think is is how strong our community is and what a big asset it is. And so um, you know, you, you guys doing just doing the podcast and keeping that spirit alive over the over the virtual airwaves is is doing good work. I think.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much. Appreciate it. David, do you want to wrap this up? When you were doing the agricultural museum work, uh, how often was it uh, a problem to, to get young people to understand the difference between the band Jethro Tull and the guy that invented the seed drill?
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, It's funny you should mention that because I I I was brought up in a in a in a family of uh, Jethro Tull fans, so I I just thought Jethro Tull was this weird guy that played a flute, and then and then I went to school and sh- sure you start you realize he was a, an agricultural pioneer.
2: Yeah, I I I was stunned when the first concert I went to and they had a little uh, uh, a, a little background pamphlet on the band along with T-shirts and all the other stuff, and it's like. Uh, The band took its name from a uh, British agricultural pioneer who invented the modern plow. And I'm going, okay, that and a flute. Uh, Sure, I get that. That goes right together. (laughs) Thank you, Adam. Adam
1: Smith is the newly minted senior vice president for AOPA's Center to advance the pilot community. Thanks for taking some time with us, Adam.
3: Thank you. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and
0: fly the airplane. But you knew that. Oh, and real pilots fly Cessnas.
1: We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. Well, see i decided we're not done yet dude we're not done yet <laughs> all right <laughs> all right hey we're back so all right you want to talk about this let's talk about this I, 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 I do i do all right we can finally speak of the story that cannot be mentioned all right what is the story that cannot be mentioned my hanger door. Your hanger door. All right. Now, now, people who have been listening to the podcast for a long time might remember that, what was it, two summers ago, three summers ago, you talked about how you ordered a new hanger door while we were at Oshkosh. Right. Okay. And that uh-huh. didn't happen. Uh-huh. So, that didn't happen. I don't know. That
0: was, that was Oshkosh of 10, the the Sploshkosh. Okay. Um, yep. I ordered a Hydra Swing one piece door to fit my hanger. Uh, put you know a couple of grand on a credit card, and um, that was in, of course, you know, late July, early August. Um, by January, I still didn't have a ship date. I still didn't have <clears throat> a bunch of other uh, things, including a warm fuzzy uh, about all this, and and had a little heart to heart with one of their one of their people on the phone one day, and and you know without. I don't, I don't remember the guy's name. I don't know you know all the specifics of what he said, but it, was, he, it became clear to me that I was not going to see that door. Mm-hmm. So I got my money back mm-hmm. and uh, worked. I had a project with uh, a friend. Uh, um, we were going to – You know, I had the, an upper half of a door. I didn't have the lower half of it or the mechanisms. And he was going to work with me. We were going to build the lower half of the door and find the mechanisms. And started running into roadblocks in <clears throat> getting the mechanisms uh, from the original door manufacturer. One thing led to another, and um, the the friend started to you know basically palm this off on this fabrication company that was working on another big project here in the in their residential development. And that project fell behind and got all bollocks stuff.
1: <laughs> okay. And yeah.
0: And uh in the in the process, of course, my little project fell by the wayside. So there's another you know, nine months. Mm-hmm. Okay. Minimum. And you know, I was scratching my head saying, you know, I, I kinda need a door. I've been living in the house a year, I need a door on the fucking hangar.
1: hmm
0: And um <laughs> <laughs> this is getting old, you know. I'm just skinning a lot of other cats around here, as it were. Uh, um, so, you know, I wasn't sitting around twiddling my thumb saying, "Gee, I wish I had a hanger door." But um, so I said, I finally, you know, started looking around at, at other options, and you know, said, "Screw it! What I really should do is just buy another door. The one what I've got isn't all that sturdy. This is Florida. Uh, I should, you know, get a real door on this thing and, and do this thing right instead of trying to piecemeal it together." So, uh, contracted with Schweiss late last year, I guess it was, to build me a, another, a new uh, bifold door, a 130 mile an hour door to you know, withstand hurricanes and all that kind of stuff, and um, I don't know. We spent probably four or five months going back and forth on just measurements, making sure that everything was right and uh and whatnot and finally re- release the door for production. Simultaneously, you know, I'm looking around for someone to install it and um uh finally delivered the door. I'm gonna say, you know, May or June. And, you know, there's now this is when I say the door, it's not like going down to the to the uh uh Home Depot and and buying a thirty a inch um uh pre installed jams already unit kind of kind of thing this is basically custom work uh, this is a very heavy duty uh, uh, piece of of uh, two pieces actually of welded uh, steel tubing um, forty feet long six feet wide is the way this thing came so it's a forty by twelve door um, the mechanisms the motors all the electrical all the the um, Um, installation uh, uh, gear, uh, whatever. You know, it comes in delivered on an uh, 18-wheeler truck. Tore up my yard like nobody's business. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah, but you did get to play with a forklift, right? I got to play with a forklift for for a couple of days, and that was certainly fun. (laughs) Um, So um, in in the process of all this, of course, I've got a guy lined up uh, to do this, to install the door. And when it comes down to scheduling this thing, he can't can't see his way clear. He didn't want to do it so about this time i f and this was a a well known company actually mm-hmm. uh, based here in florida um so I contracted with you know started talking to another guy uh who uh is up out of spruce creek also he's he's also an aircraft mechanic cer- uh, uh, certificate mechanic and he we started talking brass tacks and you know what's going on here and and um said, you know, he wants X amount of money, and X amount of money is about two times X what I ended up paying, um, and said, so, you know, that's just not, no, uh, I don't think so, and I don't know this guy from Adam or whatever, so I'm, you know, two months, I got a, I got a door sitting in my yard, grass mm-hmm. yeah. is growing up around it, and I'm starting to get nuts, and uh, I'm talking with my aircraft mechanic one day, and uh, he says, well, you know, I got a buddy of mine who, who is a general contractor. I said, well, you know, get his ass down here. So a couple of days later, uh, the general contractor came down and looked it over. And we talked turkey and said, yeah, okay, I'll be back Monday. And uh, we'll do this. And that's exactly what happened.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now- and uh, we spent three days. Um, the first day they just did a lot of internal bracing in the, uh, in the hangar, in the roof. Uh, bracing the, uh, the, uh, the header on, on which the door is going to hang. Doing a bunch of other internal bracing uh, between trusses and whatnot to uh, to make sure that it withstands some wind pressure, but also can support the weight of the door. This is a much heavier door than came off of there. And um, days two and three. Day two, uh, used the forklift, got the door in place, got a couple of bolts in it, called it a day. Uh, Day three, finished it all up, did the electrical and mechanical, and the thing was in operation that afternoon.
2: Very cool. Well, congratulations! Yeah, yeah. it's been a whole, you're almost a
0: long, strange trip it's been.
1: Yeah. Now, now, in addition to all the other ironies, so you started installing this thing, actually doing the final install on Monday. What else was happening
0: on Monday? Her, uh, Hurricane Isaac or yeah. the tropical storm Isaac was was blowing through um, um, west of here. Uh, I said, you know, are you sure? You know, you know. I, last time I checked the weather, Monday was like, you know, hurricane. Yeah. He said, "Yeah, we'll be fine." <laughs> you know, old Florida guy, you know, like, yeah, we'll wait and see. And of course, we were fine. Yeah, uh, we didn't have, we all had some rain during the day, but we were working inside the hangar, so it didn't really matter. When we were working outside, there was very, there was no rain, so it, it all but came it's, together.
2: It's, is it completely done? Done?
0: It's not completely done. Done. I still have to sheet it. Uh, And that's probably going to occur next week. Um, And there's, you know, some miscellaneous odds and ends that, you know, uh, I can do, like securing some some, uh, electrical cables and and putting up some signage and and things like that. But uh, the thing fits perfectly. There's like um, um, uh, a quarter of an inch um, uh, on one, uh, a quarter of an inch between the door uh, and the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, the existing building on one in one dimension uh, and that's the way it's supposed to be and at the bottom uh, on another dimension there's three quarters of an inch and it's 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 perfectly balanced it's it's it's, it's couldn't have asked for anything better very nice. Very nice. Well, congratulations. Congratulations.
1: Now, now, Dave and I know how stressful this has been for you. you <laughs> this has not been a happy process for you, and so we're very happy. But I want to know, now that you've had a chance to kind of vent and tell the story and get it out there, is this sort of a, a cathartic
0: release? Do you feel better now? Are you. Yeah, I I I'll feel better is when I can lock the hanger. Yeah, so I know, right? after the sheeting is is on it, um, that'll be you know quote unquote a real a real hanger at that point. That's right. Well, I, I can start cleaning up and straightening up some stuff out there that I just uh, is, is useless to go out and do now because uh, the, uh, you know I get dust blown in and leaves and stuff like yeah. that. Well, apparently there's two more hurricanes forming
1: up out in the Atlantic, so uh, you well, maybe we'll get a chance to test this thing before much longer.
0: Well, uh, I don't think last time I checked there weren't any, but we'll we'll go look at that right now. I think there are. Ah, uh, there's Leslie and there's Michael. That's what well, I'm saying. Leslie, Leslie, neither one of them are going to come here.
2: Well, and and that's what Louisiana that, thought about
0: Isaac. But okay, all right.
2: Does that 110 mile an hour rating depend on the sheathing material?
0: Yes and no. Um, it actually it's 130. Um, 130. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. It. it the way it's built and uh and whatnot, it's got pins all over the place. Uh, it's heavy duty, uh it's not gonna bend uh anything like that, depending, you know, on the on the on the wind loading. Um and it, it is built to support you know the additional weight of some heavy duty sheeting. I'm probably gonna go with some metal sheeting and my way of thinking, if if I'm gonna have um something penetrating that sheet metal, which is you know not unlike you know roofing material, but a little bit a little bit thicker. Yeah. If I'm going to have stuff penetrating that, I'm going to have a whole different set of problems.
1: Okay. Well, like I said, congratulations, and uh, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. I
0: know, I know
1: what a long, long,
2: uncomfortable <laughs> road this has been. Wow. Yeah. What a, what a pain. You yeah. Know, really. Yeah. A long, I'm trying to get something like long, strange trip. You know, trying to
0: get something yeah. like this done the way you want it done uh, for a reasonable price is just incredibly difficult these days. Yeah yeah
2: pick
1: any two yeah that's right that's yeah that's right exactly pick two cheap fast easy uh Echo clip of the week. So uh, we've been adding more clips to the uh, Echo Online uh, Media uh, General Aviation Media channel, and uh, this week I wanted to tell people about a uh, a clip that we uh, recorded back in uh, way back in the early days. Let's see, I believe it was uh, December 2006. Yes, um, we were responding to a listener email uh, who was asking about the whole process of of buying an airplane, and uh, and go figure. You guys know a little bit about buying airplanes, and uh, was a very very interesting conversation um, exploring the different uh, ins and outs and ramifications about finding airplanes and inspecting airplanes and and uh, so forth so uh, um, people should check out uh, the uh, the getting into airplane ownership clip that's part of ucap echo uh, on, the, uh, on the, the website ownership clip the ownership clip that's right and uh, you can find that by going to uncontrolledairspace.com slash echo and search for ownership uh, in the uh, search box. What else here? Oh, you know what? So uh, uh, a sad thing, but uh, absolutely must not go by without mentioning, um, we lost a genuine, uh, uh, not only an American legend, a human legend. Uh, right. Neil Armstrong uh, passed away uh, just in the last uh, week or so. And uh, um, it, it, you just cannot overstate the significance of what he and in and in a sense all of these uh, moon and lunar astronauts did but uh, to be the first guy to step out there um you know i mean it goes without saying this is a name that they will remember and speak of
2: for a long 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 time yeah. you know so well it's going to take a- somebody stepping for the first time on another uh, celestial service. Yeah. Know, before the guys got any competition. Yeah,
1: and I even that you know I mean I you know chances are Mars will be next. Um, but even that won't be, you know, to be the first the first person to walk on another planet other than Earth. Wow. Um. The anyways, our condolences to uh, Neil Armstrong family and to uh, all of his friends and and uh, and. Uh, Collaborators, and he uh, obviously will be remembered for a long, 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 long time. Yeah. So, what else here? Let's see. Uh, you know, one of the airports that we've talked about a lot over the years um, is uh, Lee Bottom Airport uh, in. Uh, you know, I always get this wrong, David. Is it in Ohio- in, in in Indiana? Where? What's it's in?
2: Yeah, it's outside Madison, Indiana. About. Uh- 50 miles upriver from Louisville, Kentucky, in my hometown, Jeffersonville, Indiana.
1: Now, I've never visited uh, there, but uh, from everything I've read and seen about it, it's just a to-die-for charming uh, little grass strip with a wonderful community of people that hang out there and, and visit there, and they hold a handful of fly-ins throughout the year, including one particularly big one, I believe, um, and uh, it's just a tremendous, uh, has been for a long time, a tremendous uh, asset and, and, uh, and way of, of building up enthusiasm about aviation. Um, it it was severely damaged apparently in a tornado uh, back in the spring, um, to the point where the airport closed for a while, and, and some of the facilities have been damaged, and uh, a very very sad situation. And and given that it's just privately owned by some folks that kind of you know barely make ends meet, they don't have an awful lot of money to repair it, and so they've been kind of gradually getting it back together with the help of volunteers and donors and whatnot. They're holding a uh, tornado release. Correction. I'm sorry. A tornado relief fundraiser fly-in uh, later in September on September 29.
0: But the, the, the punchline is: this is an honest $100 hamburger. It's right. It's so honest.
1: Okay.
0: $100 hamburger. Yeah, it's, it's a fundraiser. Uh, but it's if you want to ever say, yeah, I've, I've spent a hundred dollars for a hamburger before, yep. and and uh, this is this is your opportunity. Put down a hundred dollars, they will give you a hamburger.
1: That's right, that's right. So you you go to the airport that day, uh, fly or drive in, and for your hundred dollar donation, you will get your burger um, along with uh, chips and a drink, of course. Um, and but here's the really cool the the part that I think is particularly interesting to a lot of our listeners. Um, even if you're not able to attend that day, you can support Lee Bottom Flying Field. Yes. Um, By buying your $100 hamburger online, um, and if you do not appear to pick it up, they will give it to a kid who is there enjoying the fly-in. And so uh, I, I think that's an awesome thing, and uh, encourage everybody to go to LeeBottom.com is their website where you'll see information about the fundraiser and information about the field and information about how you can either attend or simply uh, donate the $100 uh, hamburger to, uh, to a kid there at the uh, fly-in. It's a cool thing. Well,
2: da- for, yeah? for years, they've held a uh, wood fabric and tailwheels fly-in in September, and they do a series of what they call sinful Sunday ice cream socials, uh, I think May, June, and July, uh, or June, July, and August, I forget. But the wooden fabric and tail wheels fly in, it's always been in September, uh, but the airport's not in shape to host all the people that come to that. They, they actually attract quite a large crowd of uh, old airplanes, antique cars, and a lot of spectators. And so in place of it, they're doing the uh, $100 burger. And, uh, you know, go eat well uh, or send your cards and letters along with checks and pennies and nickels and dimes. Yep. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Uh, reaching the end of our allotted time here, uh, any of these items you don't want to push off till next time?
2: The uh, FAA has uh, has proposed some regulations that are mandated by... Congress in the latest reauthorization uh Congress wanted the FAA to promulgate some rules that would help assure a consistency in policies toward through the fence residential through the fence uh airport operations uh and uh, that was back in February uh so, to comply with this, uh, the same people that kind of threw a monkey wrench into the old interpretations of through the fence rules have uh, written an NPRM, a notice of proposed rulemaking, that basically seeks to neutralize what Congress ordered them to do, which is find a way to accommodate, write a policy that makes sure that it's consistent and that can be done without having to fight tooth and nail with headquarters every time or some regional office. Uh, I did find the link. We'll put that in the show notes. But our old friend Brent Blue of ThroughTheFence.org uh, has complained that the uh, the rules as proposed are basically uh, designed to undo the intent of Congress. I took a look at the NPRM and uh, kind of have to agree with the guy. Uh, they are not playing in the spirit of what Congress intended uh... they are basically trying to have it their own way which is to say we don't like residential through the fence operations we're okay with business ones uh... and they came up with bogus ideas like well through, residential through the fence is bad for airports because those people might complain about noise i'm sorry but people who move to an airport to live on an airport and fly from an airport are going to complain about airport noise that falls into the realm of unbelievably made up and stupid. So, we encourage you to go take a look at the NPRM comment. The comment period's been extended, I believe, till the end of this month. Okay. So have at it.
1: Okay. Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What do you doing? other than working on your door, your hangar door? What have you been working on? Anything you want to tell us about? Uh, prepping
0: the, the October issue of Aviation Safety. There may or may not be one this month. I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> <laughs> Blame it on the hurricane. All right, you know. That's right. Blame yeah. it on Isaac. All yeah, right. We'll, and where can people we'll, find we'll, you? We'll on we'll Where can people done. find you on the internet? uh,
0: jeburnside.com, uh Facebook. Uh, sometimes I even uh, post a tweet. Uh, uh, excuse me, a tweet on Twitter. <laughs> um, Man, long day. Um, aviation safety magazine, uh dot com is a great place to look up the day job. Uh, so is AEA dot net. Sometimes Avweb dot com.
1: Yeah, you know this is one thing we've never ever done is uh, tell what our Twitter. What is your Twitter name? People may not know. Burnside J. Burnside J. Okay. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer an aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. What have you been working on, David?
2: Uh well I've been working on the uh October allotment for World Aircraft Sales and we got that shipped out today. I'm now working on a October piece of the Stick and Rudder variety for Aviation Safety Magazine. And on Twitter I'm Real Higdon. Real Higdon, that's right.
1: Finally after years of trying to get you to you finally yeah. you finally got yourself a tw- uh, Twitter name, Real Higdon. Uh and uh, otherwise people where do people find you on the internet?
2: Oh, uh, avbuyer.com, uh, will get you the World Aircraft Sales Magazine, uh, aviation safety AEA.net, uh, and occasionally, uh, uncredited on uh, a couple of other association magazines. Excellent.
1: And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Please check out my uh, Kindle eBooks on uh, the Amazon site. You can find them by going to amazon.com slash author slash Hodgson, or just generally uh, learn more about what I'm doing at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. And, of course, I'm doing a lot of work these days on UCAP Echo, so you can check that out at the uncontrolledairspace.com site. Big thanks, as always, to Jeff Ward for his help with the show notes and in the forums. Please take a few minutes to check out ECHO, the General Aviation Online Media Channel at uncontrolledairspace.com ECHO. And don't forget to check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can chat with us directly uh, and many of your fellow listeners at the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. And you can uh, see who's doing what on the New Ratings webpage of fame and much, much more. All of that is at
2: uncontrolledairspace.com. David, were you going to say something? I'm planning on getting really old and spending a lot of time flying because one feeds the other. Time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. So long. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying.
0: Did he actually say plan as in he's not already really old? (laughs) I, I, I don't understand. AMFFN.